Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. Hello, my friend. How are you today? My invitation for you is that you become your own best friend and that you live your life with confidence about who you are and how you show up. That is my intention for you. And if you'd like to hear more about that, I'm going to be talking about that today because I'm going to be talking about how can you manage your stories so you can live more confidently. And I'm going to do that through the show of The Shame of Money. But before we get started, I want to do a shout out because this community is really important to me. I started it back in 2006 and I just love the fact that there've been people all along and we've picked up new people along the way who are part of this community and this show can be a bright light in your lives. So I want to do a shout out right now to Yes Joy, who posted in iTunes a comment of, what did she say? She said, I think it's a she. Sorry, I don't know, but it says my go-to feel good podcast, five stars. And sometimes the one who just says what you need to hear at the right time, upbeat, short chunks of really good life coaching. Thank you. And there's emojis there. Thank you so much. Yes, Joy, for putting that up and taking the time to leave an iTunes review. So if you haven't done that, go post an iTunes review. That would help support the show. It helps get the message out to other people. And then as people are looking to figure out what do they want to listen to. So if you haven't done it, go do that. And yes, Joy, I'm so glad that this is the place for you to feel good. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And now we're with that note, we're going to go and talk about the shame of money. I sometimes laugh with myself because I'm like, gosh, I'm like the lady who just loves to talk about shame, which is so ironic because I spent a lifetime running from that word. I didn't like the whole idea of shame on you. I mean, that was something that was told to me. And so I didn't like that word. I wanted nothing to do with it. And I ran from it, which then created a lot of problems. And then that's why I'm here because it's not about not having shame. It's about learning how to move through it. And the one area that I see so much shame in is shame of money. And it can be in both not having enough or if you believe you have too much and are you really deserving of it? So money is a huge shame trigger and it's really painful. And one of the things I was thinking about, I was telling this story to my assistant Haley, to my amazing assistant Haley yesterday, we were talking about this and, and it became top of mind is when I was applying to school, I always knew I was going to college. I was committed. Like I often talk about you commit to the best case scenario and you manage risk. I was committed. I really believed that if I went to college and got a university degree, I would have a better life. And that I grew up with a lot of financial turbulence and I was really, really committed to that. I had no idea how, but I was committed. This is what I was going to do. And I knew there was stuff like financial aid. And of course I applied, but I didn't have a college savings account. I didn't have any of that stuff. And I had a lot of shame about money and I really hid from it and ran from it. And if you knew me back then, you wouldn't have known that these were my inner deeper worries because I was an approval whore and I pretended that things were very different than what they were. 
And I had so much shame about financial aid. And it so happened that my dad was able to pay for my first year of school. And I had gotten, you know, a Pell Grant, right? And I had scholarships and grants and maybe even some loans. It was really limited. It might've been like $2,700 or something for the year. And which is amazing now, you know, considering nowadays. But so I had most of college paid for. But as soon as my dad said, oh, I can pay for college this year, I shoved that. I literally shoved the sco- the financial aid package underneath my bed. Like seriously, my 40-year-old, six-year-old self, like I almost have shame in sharing that story with you, but I'm going to own my story and love myself for it because how often do you not want to seek help? We receive help, whether it's financial help or help of maybe an in-law with your kids or help at work with somebody else taking on a project where you don't have to actually manage the details of it and you don't want to seek that help or accept that help because for you, it's the message of you're not enough. I mean, that's what happened. Like if I had this belief that I wasn't even aware of at 17, that if I take this money, see, it's just more reinforcement. I'm a loser, which actually wasn't true. If I had taken that money, it would have been a really great way to manage finances and possibly help my dad manage his own finances. Because after year one, I was on my own. But that's the thing about shame is that when we feel shame and we don't even understand it, we allow it to hijack us and it hijacks our life and takes over. And so one of the ways that there's three ways that we try to disconnect from shame, we either hide away. And so for me taking that envelope and literally, I didn't shove it under my bed, but I think I shoved it under, uh, I had this bookcase or something in my bedroom and I shoved it under there. I didn't want to look at it. I had so much shame about having to receive it or being one of those kids because the story in my brain was... I was the only kid on financial aid at the university. So the fact that I didn't have to have that was for me so like, oh, I didn't have to, I could pretend some more of who I wanted to be, which wasn't great because the shame just grows. So we can hide away from shame to try to disconnect. We can approve a whore or we can gladiate, which is we're just inner gladiating, beating the crap out of ourselves. And that's what I was really good at doing. So then we go into my sophomore year of college and my dad says, look, the money's gone. There's no more. You're going to have to figure this out. And of course, I was always diligent about applying for financial aid, but the goal was like, I want to apply for it, but I never want to have to receive it because then people will actually know my story that I'm just this loser from loser street and I can't afford money. And it's not that I'm a loser. We just didn't have the financial resources for me to go to college, but there were other ways. But because I had so much shame, I wanted to hide away from it. Now, fortunately, because remember that desire to be committed to the best case scenario and to graduating from college and getting a better life, I was so committed to that, I wouldn't quit. But oftentimes I've seen people who had so much shame that they would just quit dropping out of school, quitting the job, ending the marriage, ending the friendship, quitting instead of being willing to struggle through that shame to get that thing that you wanted so that you can have the result that you ultimately want. So my sophomore year, and this is, I'm sure it's all different now. Like, right. I would be in some ways, it'd be so much better for me to be a student now because it's, I think it's all done electronically versus when I had to do it back in 1990 and 1991. So back in the day, 
the financial aid office and the registration, they moved over to our basketball arena. It's back then it was called the rec hall. And you would go in there and you would stand in line, you know, the night before so that you can go change your classes and stuff. And for those of you who are millennials listening to me, you're like, what do you mean stand in line? Yeah, this is what you did. And then you try to finagle how you can get into the priority one pass versus the priority four, which then you wouldn't have any classes. But there are these tables on the basketball court that were set up. And so some were for classes and some were for other stuff. And then there was the God awful financial aid table. And I wanted nothing to do with that because I didn't want people to know that I was poor, that I didn't have money for college. There was so much shame, you guys. It's so amazing. Like when I look back at myself and think about the drum in my head that I wasn't even aware of, but what stopped me. So I spent a lot of brain juice trying to figure out when I would go to pick up my financial aid checks, because that's what you had to do. You had to go physically, show them your ID. They would give you your checks and you'd sign for them. And I was so petrified that somebody I knew would find out what was really true was I was poor, that I would figure out when I would go. So of course, when we're all standing in line, getting classes, that is not when I would go. I would go back sometimes probably like two or three different times to make sure they're the least amount of people and nobody I knew was there. Now, here's the thing. I think at the time UC Davis had like 18,000 students. I could be wrong, but it was about 18, 20,000 students. So it's not like I was at this really small private school. I was at a big university and I knew a fair amount of people, but that's how much brain juice I spent and energy because I was so afraid somebody would see that I didn't have money. Having money is just a fact or not having money is just a fact. It's not a determination of who I was, but that's what I made it mean about myself because I didn't know how to manage my mind. I didn't know how to manage the stories in my head. And so that's why I talk about money is a shame trigger for people. And it also can be on the other side. Like I have clients who make a lot of money and I have friends who make a lot of money and they can have shame triggers of, oh, well, I'm too much. People aren't going to like me because I have too much. They're going to think, you know, I've done something wrong. So money is a fascinating thing. And I love talking about money. So back in 1990, 1990, 91, I hid away. You know, I was a I was trying to be somebody I really wasn't in terms of money. It was like, oh yes, I can be carefree with money. That wasn't my reality. And I beat myself up internally. And then later on, I was like having two or three jobs, a lot of it in hiding because I didn't want people to know that I just didn't have like this, you know, this parents who would just cash flow everything for me. So my old stories were and I didn't know this back then, but these were the stories that were driving me into these actions that I was taking. My old stories were, well, you know, to have lots of money, you must be a cheater. You must screw people out of money because that's the only way you can really have money. My other story was about me was I'm just a loser from loser street and money doesn't happen to people like me. That I was so attached to that story for so long and that just allowed me to feel defeated. It was just you know, defeated, what's even possible. Here's the interesting though thing though, is you're going to notice I had cognitive dissonance because I had this commitment that I was going to get a college degree and I was determined 
to have a better life for myself. I was very determined about that. So it was interesting. I had this internal conflict that went on. So I would still go to school. I would still commit to it. I would still work on, you know, having a better life. And then I would spend all this time hiding away, trying not to be seen on the rec hall floor to get my financial aid checks. My other belief that I had that was an old story was I'm not good enough for money. And the funny thing is like, I can laugh with myself now of like money doesn't care. It doesn't matter if you're a nice person or not a nice person. That's what I tell my swimmers all the time. The clock doesn't care if you're a nice person or not. The clock just gives you information when you put your hand on the wall. Money just gives you information. That's all. How much money do you have in your checking account? That is just a fact. It's not a determination of your worthiness. But how often, my friend, do you determine your worthiness by how much money you have in the bank, by how much you're worth, the amount of money you make, by the size of your house and what it's worth, by the car that you drive? Money is just a number. That's all that it is, but it's what we make it mean. And that's why learning how to manage your mindset, learning how to manage the stories that are in your head are so critical because otherwise shame creeps up and then it hijacks and drives your life. And then you do things like I did of spending all this brain juice and energy on trying to maneuver stuff that doesn't need to be maneuvered. That's really not how I want to spend my time and my energy. In order for me to change my relationship with money, I had to change my mindset. I had to change my stories. Now, 25 years later or so, maybe even longer than that, I guess, ooh, 28 years later, my stories are, I'm really good with money. I love money. I think money is amazing and it's fantastic. I also, I guess, have another belief of that you can make money and do things that are ethical and in your values and your alignment. Isn't that awesome? Like you don't have to be a cheater to make a lot of money. The other thing that's really, really important about stories is that I own all of my stories around money. So I used to have these lies that I would believe is absolute truth, right? I'm a loser. I'm a loser from loser street. If you've been listening to this show for a long time, you're probably as tired as I am of that story of I'm a loser. It's like, come on, Corinne, really? But really that story drove me for so long. And really that's not my story. So, but I can own all of my stories around money. So now my story is, look, I don't spend 10 cents on paper bags at the grocery store. It pains me when a new paper bag comes into my house and I know somebody spent 10 cents. Like it is an internal shit show, you guys. I'm not joking, right? And then I buy high-end items of certain things because I'm like, absolutely, that is a value to me. And when I'm talking about that, like as I look at all these Apple products in front of me, right? Or I've written, I talked about fake Ugg boots. I had a podcast about fake Ugg boots versus what, you know, the Kmart moccasins. So when I was what, nine or 10 years old, and I so desperately wanted those moccasins and my family didn't have the money to buy me the brand ones, but we went to Kmart and got the, the knockoffs because I had so much shame around money that felt horrible for me to have it, especially once that friend of mine noticed that they weren't the real ones and kind of sneered at me and made a comment in the locker room. And instead, now I wear fake Ugg boots. I totally own it. This is what I want to spend my money on. This is what brings me value. And I don't need to have the $200 Ugg boots. And there's sometimes that I buy the $200 Ugg boots. It just depends on what it is that I'm using them for. Nowadays, 
I own, I don't have the shame around money. Most places, I'm sure there's going to be places that creep up, but in most places I've done a lot of the decluttering. I've cleaned up the stories. I go, what is fact? And what is, you know, what is a lie? And even when it comes down to, oh, that's really expensive. I can't afford it. It's really comes down to the question I ask myself instead is, is that something that brings me value? Is that something that I want to choose to spend my money on? Which is a way better question than yelling at myself or telling myself, oh, I can't afford it because that's not necessarily true. It's where do I choose to spend my money? And oftentimes you'll notice, listen to people as they talk. They'll talk like they're financially destitute, but really it's their way of trying to make sure that they don't overspend. And if they could get into this compassionate place where there's boundaries, where they could say, okay, this is the stuff that I spend money on and I give myself permission. And these are their areas that are not a value. And I don't want to spend my money on there. It's all the choice. And when you're the leader of your life, you get to decide. And there's also when you're the leader of the life, the consequences of your decision. So instead of like hiding away and, you know, that's where we create a lot of problems with money is that we pretend that we have more than we do and then people overspend. But when you're really compassionate, you have boundaries around it. So with my stories, I created new stories. I own all of my stories. I laugh with myself about money, right? This is the way that I do. This is how I handle my money. I don't try to hide it. I don't play games. I just find my brain fascinating. And what I think is totally fine to spend money on and the things like the paper bag, for instance, where I just don't think it's okay to spend money on. And I'm okay with that. So when you can own all of your stories around money, it's going to give you so much freedom. It will give you so much more freedom than when you try to hide away from them like I did back as an undergrad more new stories that I've created in my brain that are true. Here's the thing is that you must create new stories that are true because it's not about positive thinking where you just tell yourself a belief. You really want to believe it. And that's how you can attach that new feeling state. So the new stories that I have are money doesn't care if you're good or bad. Money is not just for bad people. Money is a thing. And so I tell myself that over and over, money doesn't care if I'm good or bad. Money is this thing. I also tell myself I'm not a loser. (laughs) We're done that one for a while. And I talk about how money does happen to people like me. And that can be a bit disempowering. So it's probably not one of my go-tos, but these are new beliefs. So in order to change my relationship with money, which would be the circumstance, I had to change my beliefs about money. What it is that I believed. Does money happen to people like me? Is money only for the evil, right? What was money? Money is really neutral. That's another belief. And I had to change my beliefs about me. And that's why your relationship with yourself is so important. That's why I talk about being your own best friend and becoming the leader of your life because your relationship with yourself affects everything else. And the feeling states that these new beliefs dial up are compassion. And when I'm in this place of compassion, it also allows me to feel curious. I can eventually spiral up and go from compassion to then curious where I can figure things out. And then eventually excitement. It's like, holy smokes, look what's possible. Did you know there are these things? I remember when I was in college and I was like, there are these things called an IRA. And this is a way that you can create wealth. I was like, holy moly. I thought money just happened to people that were good people. And I'm like, there are actually tools. I remember learning that in college. I was like blown away. 
So you want to create new thoughts, new beliefs that you feel that compassion, the curiosity, the excitement. And sometimes we go to excitement when we're in shame, but it's excitement, but it's not long lasting. So I, my go-to feeling states are typically compassion. I think compassion is sustainable. It feels good and there's great healthy boundaries. And then I love to be curious. Another thing, and this is a new story that I've been saying for years now, especially with my clients is money is a math problem. And when I say problems, like, oh, well, we don't want problems. Well, it's like, I loved math and it's like a puzzle, a puzzle is a problem. Like how do you solve it? Right. Those can be fun. And when you can think of math problem, like how do we get this answer? What creates the number four? Well, there's many variations. There's two plus two, there's one and a half plus two and a half. There's one plus three, there's half plus three and a half. I mean, those are just some of the simpler ones, but that's how you get to four. So if you want to look at, okay, this is the money that I would like to have, and this is the money I have. Now it's about finding the solution of how do you close that gap? That's the key. And you can only do that when you're not in a place of shame. When you are believing, well, money doesn't happen to people like me, then you don't try to close the gap. You're like, oh, well, I must give up and it's not possible for me. Okay. Now there may be another part of you like me in college where it was like, I was going to get a degree that there was not even any discussion about it. I was so committed to get a degree because somewhere in my brain, I really, really believed that if I had a college degree, I would have a better life for myself. I just believe that so much that that was unbreakable. So I was willing to overcome a lot of the shame. So I there'll be links in the show notes, but uh, Carol Dweck has been on my show a couple of times and she's the Stanford uh, psychology professor. And she wrote this great book called Mindset. And she did these studies with these kids. But one of the things that she talks about in her book, and we talked about on my show is the thoughts you believe can create the results in your life. The thoughts you believe. Now, here's the thing. It's, this is where it's different than positive thinking. It's not, oh, I make a lot of money. I make a lot of money. I make a lot of money. Because if you believe I'm a loser and money hates me, then you already have a conflict. Like I can feel not so good in my body by saying that second statement. So you must believe the thoughts you believe can create the results in your life. But it's not just thinking the thoughts, it's feeling the feelings, and then it's taking the action to create the results that you want. So remember, not just positive thinking, but then about how do you show up in your life? You're telling yourself what is already true, right? It could be like, I remember when I was in my 20s, I was like, wow, I'm learning about all these tools that are available to help me become better with money. That was a way better belief that I'm a loser from loser straight or that money doesn't happen to people like me. And so that belief allowed me to be curious and to be willing to learn and to give myself permission to suck at it and being okay with not knowing about money and going, wow, there's all this information and there's ways to do it. And then actually putting into practice, we have to put things into practice, you guys, right? It's great to take information, but information without action equals nothing. So take action and you must believe these new beliefs. When you change the way you look at things, the way you look at things change. And that's from Wayne Dwyer. So where I've changed my relationship with money, I've changed my beliefs and it's changed the way I see the world and the way I see money. Now this is your chance to go and test this out. You know, after today's podcast, go and test it out. Notice like, what are the thoughts that you have about money? You know, what are the results that you have? How do you feel when you think about money? 
How do you feel when you think about how much money you make or how much money your house is worth? Notice that and then gets back to the thoughts and then think about creating what is it you really want to believe about money and doing it in a way that you really believe it, not, oh, I'm going to be Oprah next year and I'm going to make a lot of money. I can't believe that thought to make Oprah's kind of money. That is not a belief. That could be a hope and a prayer, but that's not a belief. Okay. So to manage your mindset, one is, remember I talked in the beginning about creating an awareness. Notice what's going on inside your head. It's okay. Just notice it. You don't need to judge it. Just notice it, right? We really are trying to leave judgment at the door. We don't need it anymore. It protected us for a long time, but we don't need it. Just notice. You don't need to control your thoughts. I have a lot of crazy thoughts in my head. Like seriously, I'm like, wow, that's still in there. Isn't that interesting? Our brains are like sponges and they pick up stuff. We've been culturally programmed to believe things over our lives. So whether it's from our family of origin, from mass media, from relationships, from teachers, from our sports, from whatever, our religion, we've been taught this is the truth without ever examining, is it really true for me? So don't try to control your thoughts. Instead, back in the day when I used to teach yoga and we would go into Shavasana and, you know, we would do a 10 minute Shavasana and my students be like, but I can't get my brain to be quiet. I'm like, that's okay. Just tell your brain or tell your thoughts, hello thought and goodbye thought. The thing is, is that we're not attaching to the thought when we do that. It's when we try to fight and we try to battle. Like with the, if you've noticed, those aren't my languages. That's when we're attaching to what is going on. And then we get stuck. So don't attach, let go. Oh, isn't that fascinating? That thought's in there. There's that thought of I'm a loser or money doesn't happen to me. Is that really true? Oh, I'm going to live down by the river. Is that really true? Is that really part of your story where you've been somebody that will get yourself so destitute or have you always been able to figure out a way? Pay attention to that. So manage your mind. Notice the lies you're choosing to believe. Remember, this is really, really key. Write this down. You are not your thoughts. There are a lot of thoughts in there that you have just collected that aren't even thoughts that you believe, but you're living by. So that's why it's so important to declutter. And my friend, you get to choose to believe new thoughts that are actually true. They're actually true. Like I know I can learn new things. And it comes down to, do I, what things do I want to learn? There's some things in the kitchen cooking I don't want to learn and that's okay, but you can learn new things. Laugh with yourself, not at yourself. We've been laughed at enough in our life and we're also petrified that we're going to be laughed at, but laugh with ourselves. Like we can be our own friend and be, oh my gosh, I am so silly. Look at this. Like let's bring humor into our lives. Let's enjoy this one precious life that we have and be willing to laugh with ourselves. We don't need to shame ourselves. Just laugh with ourselves. And my friend, love yourself. Please, this is your life. It's not a dress rehearsal. We don't get to go to 80 and go, okay, now I've learned everything. Now let me go back and do it way better and do it perfectly, right? Do it now. Love yourself now because if not today, then when? Love yourself. And if not you, then who's supposed to love you? It's so important that we love ourselves and you're not being arrogant when you do. And it doesn't mean you're better than anybody, but love you. Own what's true. If you love to wear fake Ugg boots, own it. If you like really nice things and you can afford it and it doesn't like my values, it can't hurt my family, own that part. There's nothing wrong. Money does not tie to your worthiness or anybody else's. Money is a number. It's just a math game. 
It's a number. It's a fact. It's totally neutral. It's what we make it mean, what society has contributed to it. Tell yourself the truth instead of all these painful lies that you love to wrap yourself around in. Dial up compassion as your feeling state. Trust me, you'll thank me later. And then now from this place, you can go and take massive action to create the results that you want. So that my friend is the mindset and overcoming our shame of money. And for the past couple of weeks, we've had so much fun in our community. I've offered these master classes, and the interest to the classes was crazy. It was so much fun to have all these people there and wanting to watch it and then watching the replays that we had it for a limited time. And the master class was on how to use your mindset practice workbook. It's a downloadable. When you go to the show notes, you can download it. It's one of the key tools I use with my clients. And I want you, this tool, it's like my way of making great coffee. This is a way to manage your mindset. Okay. So it is a great tool. You want to have it. And then you have to know how to use it because just having an appliance in your kitchen, but not knowing how to use it will not lead to anything. Same thing with this tool. So I offer these two master classes. They are an hour. And what I've heard from you all is that you're like, but Karen, that was great. And I'm starting to understand, but I want more. And so I've created a workshop. It's a three hour workshop and it's going to be limited to 20 people. And you can sign up for it. You can register online and sign up for it. And I'll be coaching you. It's going to be very interactive instead of just the information coming to you. So there's a link in the show notes where you can go in there to register and to sign up for it and find out all the information, the dates and the times, because at some point the show is going to move on and that, that won't be there anymore. But if you want to do this mindset workshop, three hours, you and me and 19 other people where we're interacting and we're really taking this work so that you can work on creating this into your daily practice and incorporating it at home. And here's the thing. This is your invitation. It's not an obligation to join this workshop. You know, if you join, the goal is that you manage your mind so you can stop with the self-sabotage, the self-loathing, the mean things you say to yourself and instead enjoy your life as you live with confidence in yourself and you can experience joy. Go to the link in the show notes for details and register for the upcoming workshop. Remember, there's only 20 spots available. All right, until next time, I'm smiling big for you. My friend, you know that your voice matters. It matters to me. And so we're gonna do two things here. We're gonna one, practice on your voice mattering and you owning your voice. And the other is preserving your brain juice. So the first thing I want you to go do is share your voice. Leave a review of the show on iTunes. Tell me what you love. Tell me why you're here. Your voice matters. And the second thing, if you haven't done it already, preserve your brain juice by making sure you hit the subscribe button and you're subscribed to the show. I'm smiling big for you. I can't wait to give you a shout out on the show in the future. Until next time. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.